Well, this morning for a Bible lesson, I'd like to consider uh, the thought of the uh, the theme that uh, the love of Jesus is precious. The love of Jesus is precious. And so let's go to John chapter 3. We'll start here. I wrote down quite a few verses in the Gospel of John, as well as in 1 John and one in Revelation. Uh, We probably won't get to all of them today, but let's start with uh, the Gospel of John, and let's just uh, try to enjoy this passage of Scripture and, and try to think once again what it's really saying, and let the full weight and the full power of these words sink into our minds Uh, I know that we recite John 3.16 every Communion Sunday, and I know you probably all know it from memory, uh, but sometimes we we don't stop to think of Scripture as much as we should. So, let me get there. You're probably already there, and I'm not. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. So here we have the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus came at night to have a discussion with Jesus. And Jesus challenges or confronts Nicodemus with a truth about being born again. I like to think of that as undergoing a divine makeover, where God is going to take charge of your life and completely remake you and transform you. It's all about the Spirit of God coming into your life and working. And uh, Jesus makes clear that that begins with faith, begins with believing. That's what we need to do. Uh, As we believe, we become born again. So as part of this discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus, Uh, Jesus talks about how in the Old Testament, a plague broke out. The Israelites sinned, they disobeyed God, they aroused the ire and the anger of God, and a plague of fiery serpents broke out, and those fiery serpents bit people, and they were starting to die. And so uh, God says to Moses, Moses, take one of those snakes, put it on a stick. I suppose uh, he would impale the, the snake on a stick and hold it up. And Moses commanded the people, according to the word of God, whoever looks, whoever looks at that snake on that pole will be healed. Uh, The the terrible effects of those snake bites will stop. And they won't be poisoned, they won't die, they'll be healed, they'll be well. So when you think about it, the uplifted serpent on the stick was to stop the judgment or to stop the anger of God. It was to turn away God's wrath, to turn away God's anger on their sins. So now Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as in the same way that Moses put that serpent or that snake on a pole and lifted it up as a means of healing and a means to stay the wrath and the anger and the judgment of God and human sin, Jesus says, so also must Jesus, the Son of Man, be lifted up on the cross. I guess, Carl, you have to go now. So, yeah, so go, sorry, you have to go back to work, Carl, but I understand. It is what it is. Uh, Yeah, God bless you in your work today. Yeah, see you tonight, Carl. God bless you in your work today. So as as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness for means of healing to stay the wrath of God, so also Jesus will be lifted up on the cross. He'll be lifted up on the wood, on the tree, as a means of healing, as a means to stop and to stay the judgment of God on human sin. This comes out in verse 14. Notice verse 14 now. And as Moses lifted up, he raised up that serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Because that's the plan, that's the purpose of God. God is sending Jesus into the world to be the Lamb of God. Uh, Back in chapter 1, verse 29, uh, John John, uh, the Baptist saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's the mission of Jesus, to be that suffering Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So verse 14 again, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, in like manner, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Notice verse 15, That whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in this uplifted Son of Man on the cross, as the one who came from God to take away the sin of the world, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. They shall not suffer eternal death. They shall not suffer the judgment of God. They shall not suffer the wrath of God on their sins. They shall not suffer eternal loss and deprivations of God's grace and God's goodness, but rather have eternal life. They're going to possess something that's wonderful and extraordinary. Now here comes in verse 16 the explanation. Sometimes you don't stop and think that John 3.16 is actually an explanation. It's an explanation of something. It's an explanation of why God is going to lift up the Son of Man on a cross so that whoever looks to the cross, whoever looks to the crucified Jesus, will be healed, cured of their sin disease, if you will. And the wrath of God will be turned away from them in their sins. So now we have a great statement about the crucified Messiah, about the crucified Son of Man. Verse 16, for, here's the explanation, why is God putting this Jesus on the cross? Why is Jesus being uplifted? So that whoever looks to Jesus, whoever believes, will have eternal life instead of eternal death and perishing. For God loved the world. He so loved the world. He loved the world in this manner. He loved the world in this way. God is showing, God is demonstrating, God is proving, God is revealing his love for the world of human beings. Uh, It's interesting how John uses the word world. Sometimes he uses the word world to refer to the created world. the, the, The physical material world that God made. Sometimes John uses the word world to refer to just the world of human beings, the world of the human population. And that's how he's using it here. At other times, especially in 1 John... Uh, John uses the word world to refer to the antagonistic world, the world, including devils and demons and and powers and principalities and all the human population that's arrayed against the plans and the purposes of God. In other words, in some cases, the word world is used as the antagonistic world, the defiant world, the world that's against God. But here I think it's just used in the sense of uh, the world of human beings, whom Scripture tells us are sinners and lost and are alienated from God, and yes, they are antagonistic. But God loves this world, the human world, the world of people. And keep in mind that people, human beings, are, they represent the crowning glory of God's creation. God made all this world, he made everything beautiful to put human beings on it so that human beings of their own free will would love and serve and honor God. So God loved the world, he showed his love for this world, the world of human beings, sinners as they are, not seeking God, often defiant and antagonistic, Uh, So God loved this world that, what did he do? He did something. He acted. Uh, God didn't keep his love sort of all bottled up inside of him. Uh, He just poured out his love and, and, and demonstrated it. He gave. He gave. He gave to the world a gift. He gave what? His one and only son. His only begotten son. Uh, The son that was eternally begotten of the father. The son that always was the son in relation to God. God gave up the son. You might say God gave the best. God didn't just send a representative. He didn't just send an ambassador. He didn't send an angel. He sent his only son. 
I think of uh, the words of Paul in Romans 8.32, He who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also, along with Jesus, freely give us all things? So God gave his only son, the son whom he loved and delighted in for all eternity, uh, the one who knew the Father the best, the one who had eternal communion with God the Father forever and ever. God gave his one and only son, his only begotten son. And here's the gracious offer, that whoever believes in this son whom God has sent and put in the cross, the son whom God has lifted up, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what should not perish, but have everlasting life. I almost see two gifts here, even though they're all one big gift. God giving his son, and then God offering eternal life to all who believe. Now keep in mind here, it says perishing, should not perish. That means should not perish eternally. That means should not suffer the wrath and the judgment of God on their sins. They should not suffer eternal death and eternal separation from God. But rather instead have the gift of everlasting life. Well, let's just stop and think about how good God is. And how generous God is. So God looks at the world. And he sees the world, even as those Israelites thousands of years earlier were in the wilderness. Stubborn, defiant, rebellious, people who just don't want to do God's will. So God looks at the world, and God has compassion, God has pity. As Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, God is going to send his, his, his son, his son, the one he loved for all eternity, the one who was the closest to him, the one he loves and enjoys and is, and is endeared to him the most. He sends his son into the sin-sick world to be scoffed at and ridiculed and rejected and beaten and despised, nailed to a cross, lifted up on that cruel cross, so that whoever just looks to Jesus, looks to the crucified one and believes, believes in Jesus as the one who has come from God, doing God's work and will and is the means of their salvation, they will never perish. They'll never suffer the loss of God's blessings and goodness. And they're going to have the gift of eternal life. God is, do we realize what God is offering here? I mean, this is extraordinary. This is amazing. So we might say that what is eternal life? It's not just life that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, because even those who have eternal death and eternal judgment, they're, they're going to go on forever and ever and ever. But it's a certain quality of life. When I have eternal life, that means I am going to enjoy God's goodness, God's grace, and God's benefits for all eternity. I'm not going to get God's judgment I'm not going to experience God's wrath or punishment on my sins, but all my sins have been forgiven. And I get to enjoy the good things of God that I don't deserve forever and ever and ever. That's the love of God being manifested and communicated and revealed and shown and demonstrated through Jesus our Lord. Remember when I said that we started this uh, Bible lesson today, it's all about looking at the love of Jesus and seeing and appreciating the love of Jesus as precious. Jesus is the supreme revelation of God's love to us. If anyone would ask the question, well, how do I know God loves me? How do I know that? What evidence, what assurance do I have that God loves me? Or God loves anybody else, for that matter. Well, here's the answer. God gave his son. God sent Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, into this world. And Jesus put him up on that cross for you, for me, 
so that all who look to Jesus, all who believe in Jesus, should not perish, shall never perish, but have the wonderful gift of eternal life. Uh, And that's just extraordinary. So keep that in mind. The love of God for us is unearned, undeserved, and unmerited. It is freely given as an act of God's sovereign will. Because God has compassion on us. He has mercy. He extends his grace and his love through the Lord Jesus Christ. So those words are just powerful. They are amazing. God loved the world. He showed, he demonstrated, he proved his love for the world in this way, in this manner. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, that is the invitation to everyone, no one is excluded. The invitation goes out to all human beings that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Boy, isn't God good? Isn't his love precious? Isn't the love that he communicates to us through Jesus precious and valuable? Shouldn't that be what motivates us to come to church and worship him and do his will and keep his commandments and spread the word and invite people to church and fix the place up and just keep on going and going? All right, now let's go to the next passage I have in mind, and that's John 13, verse 1. Let's go to John 13, chapter 13 and verse 1. So Jesus has an earthly ministry of about three and a half years total. Uh, The way the uh, ministry of Jesus is presented in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters uh, 1 through 12 represent Jesus' public ministry. Now Jesus' public ministry is coming to a close, and Jesus is going to take his disciples aside, and he's going to talk to them and prepare them for his departure. So chapters uh, 13 through 17 is Jesus' private ministry to his disciples. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's going to be arrested and crucified. And he's going to have a post-resurrection ministry of 40 days, and then he's going to ascend back into heaven to God the Father. Jesus knows he's departing. He's leaving. So he wants to try to get his disciples ready. He wants to prepare them for that event. So he's going to give them quite a quite an extended uh, section of teaching here for his disciples. But notice what John says in chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the text asserts that before this Passover comes, and I presume this would be the last Passover that Jesus would uh, experience and partake of before he departs from this world. And of course he knows the Garden of Gethsemane experience is coming. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows that's God's will to go to the cross and die for us and for our sins. He knows that's coming. He's going to go back to God the Father. What does the text affirm? He loved his own who were in the world. Now, who's his own? Those are believers. Those are disciples. Uh, Maybe John has in mind, especially the 12 disciples, perhaps he has in mind all disciples in general, all those who have believed and accepted the message of Jesus. It says here he loved his own who are in the world. And by the way, he's going to leave them in the world, according to chapter 17. He's going to leave them in the world rather than take them out of the world. So there'll be a great testimony and a great witness for the the Lord Jesus who's departing. It says there, he loved them to the end. 
He loved them to the end of his ministry. He loved them to the very end of his work on earth just before he was taken up. In other words, at no time does Jesus ever stop loving believers, his disciples. At no time did Jesus ever say to Peter, Peter, look, you denied me three times. I've had it with you. I'm finished. You're fired. <laughs> Jesus never said that to Peter, did he? In fact, after after Peter denied the Lord three times, he felt bad. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus made it a point to go talk to Peter privately and reassure Peter that he loves him. Well, then you remember there was Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas. Ah, he wouldn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, he was a tough nut. He wouldn't believe unless he had solid... Uh, rock-solid empirical evidence. Well, Jesus was very patient with Thomas. He, and, and he went and, and he called Thomas over when Thomas was present with the rest of him. He said, Thomas, come in. Look at, my, look at my hands. See the nail prints in, in my hands? And look at my side. Look at my side where it was pierced through with a sword. Thomas, don't be doubting, but be believing. And then Thomas fell down on the ground in the presence of Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. What I'm saying is, Jesus loved his disciples. He loved them to the end. In spite of all of their faults and their failures and their shortcomings, and the fact that they were so slow to learn and perceive what Jesus was trying to teach them. He loved them to the end. The love of Jesus doesn't quit. It doesn't stop. In spite of our faults and our failures. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Now, how did Jesus show his love for his disciples? Let's just think about that for a moment. So you recall when Jesus began his ministry, he picked 12 to be his disciples. In other words, to be his inner circle of students who were going to learn from him. Because Jesus had this plan all figured out. He was going to leave, and these 12, uh, of course minus Judas who betrayed him, he'd be replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1, but they would become apostles, they'd become sent out ones who were going to carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus, having been crucified and raised again. They're going to carry that good news. So Jesus knew that that was the big plan. So he takes his disciples, he calls them to himself to be students, to be pupils, to be learners. And he takes them on a tour. He goes all about doing all kinds of miracles and signs. And guess what? These disciples, they had a front row seat, as it were, to watch all of the miracles and the signs of Jesus. They had a front row seat to see God's glory manifested in Jesus. And wow, that's an expression of God's love. When Jesus was teaching the public... The disciples were right there to hear everything Jesus said. But Jesus often took his disciples aside and taught them in private. That, too, was an act of Jesus' love for them. And then you recall Jesus uh, was arrested and he was taken away to be tried and he was crucified. Jesus' death was, yes, it was a death for the whole world, but it was also a death for his disciples. It was a death for these uh, people who had already come to believe in him as the Messiah. But it didn't stop there. Jesus showed his love for them by rising again from the dead. He didn't abandon them in death. He came back from the dead to be with them and to continue to instruct them and to show them how great he is. And then he has the power over their worst enemy. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus ascended back to God the Father and, and shows his love for them. He says, I'm going to go away, and if you know where I'm going, you'd be happy for me, and you'd be happy yourselves, because you know I'm returning to God my Father. I came from God the Father, I'm going back to God the Father. And what does Scripture tell us that Jesus is doing in the presence of God the Father? He's there as our advocate, our intercessor, our great high priest, who forever secures our salvation, which is called in Hebrews, eternal redemption. 
That shows Jesus' love for them. And you know what Jesus says to them in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3? Jesus says to them, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you, my own, my disciples. And guess what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you. I'm going to welcome you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also and be with me forever. That shows Jesus' love for them. Everything Jesus does shows his love for his own, for his disciples, for his blood-bought people. All right, I think we have time for a couple more passages. Let's go to chapter 14 now. So keep in mind, these verses, Jesus has taken his disciples aside and he's talking to them. He's talking about his love for them. And so I think we can say, if, if, if God loves the whole world and sent his son to show his love to the whole world, imagine how much God loves, imagine how much Jesus loves those who believe in him. If the coming of Jesus represents the love of God for the whole world as a a great public statement, a great public spectacle that says God loves the world, he loves all people, he sent his son. Imagine how much greater and how much more joy and how much more delight God has in those people who honor his son by believing in him. So now we come to chapter 14. Notice chapter 14. Um, And of course it begins in chapter 14, verse 1. These things... uh, Uh, Jesus says here in chapter 14, verse 1, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be full of anxiety or fear or consternation. You are believing in me. Uh, You are believing in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus welcomes their faith. He says to believe believe in him in the same way that they believe in God the Father. And this chapter is such a great testimony to Jesus' love for his own. He's going to go away. He's going to prepare for them a place. Um, he's going to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, um, I'm not going to leave you as orphan children. I'm going away, but I'm going to send another helper that he may be with you forever. That just announces Jesus' love for his own. Towards the end of the chapter, he talks about leaving his special peace with them. They're going to have peace um, with Jesus. They may not have peace in the world as they live out their lives, but Jesus is going to give them his peace, uh, which may be a reference to the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, and it may be a reference, too, that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. And boy, they're going to have a lot of peace when they see Jesus come back from the dead. But I want you to notice verse 21. Notice verse 21. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So I think what's going on here is uh, God shows that he loves the whole world. He sends his son, Jesus. You know, it's not that we loved God first, but that he loved us. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world to show his love. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. So now these people who respond to this love of God in Christ are in effect told to love Jesus back. I loved you first, love me back. Well, how do we show our love for Jesus? If we really love Jesus, what do we do? We'll we'll keep his commandments. And by the way, the commandments of Jesus represent his love for us. Jesus gives his commandments because he loves us, and he wants things to go well for us. For even the commandments of Jesus, even his will for us represents and reflects his love for us. So we're asked to show our love back to Jesus Um, And we show that by keeping his commandments. We do what he wants. We do his will. 
And then we mind in verse 20, then whoever loves Jesus will be loved by my Father. Remember back in chapter 5, Jesus said that it's God's purpose that we honor the Son the same way that we honor God. In other words, if we honor the Son, we're honoring God. If we don't believe in Jesus and we don't honor the Son, we're not really honoring God the Father. So this is why we keep uh, the commandments of Jesus. This is why we show our love through obedience. And so we have the assurance, the promise in verse 21. And he who loves me, that's all believers. Believers love Jesus. Christians love Jesus. All the disciples of Jesus, they love Jesus. We appreciate what he did for us on the cross. Um, we're glad that he died for us and was raised again and that our sins forgiven. We love Jesus and we want to show that and we endeavor to show it through obedience. It says, we'll be loved by my Father. Maybe this is an additional love, an additional love that goes beyond the love of John 3.16. There it was just God loved the world. God loved the world of sinners that he gave his one and only son. This is the love of God, God's special love, God's joy and delight in all believers. And Jesus says, I'm going to also love him. And in addition, I'm going to manifest myself to him. So Jesus says, I'm going to show these people who are my own. I'm going to show them more and more of my love. I'm going to show them more and more of who I am. I'm going to show them more and more of my will and my plans and my purposes and my promises. And uh, we have that in chapter 15 where Jesus calls his disciples his friends. You're not just servants, but you're my friends because I'm going to tell you a lot of things. I'm going to let you on inside information. I'm going to share with you very personal information I'm not going to share with everybody. So then Judas, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. In other words, this is another Judas, not the Judas who denied Jesus, said to him, Well, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now keep in mind, Jesus has already manifested himself to some degree to the world. Remember he came doing all those signs and miracles and wonders and he taught the people and and he's going to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. So there there is a great body of revelation to the world. But what Judas is asking, well, well, how come you're going to reserve certain things for us, your own disciples, your own believers? How come you're not going to share everything that you're going to say to us with the whole world? Well, it's for this reason. If Jesus gave all of this revelation to the world, all of the signs and miracles and wonders, and if he gets crucified and raised from the dead, if the world doesn't believe that, why should Jesus bother revealing anything else to them? In other words, Jesus wants a response to the revelation already given before he gives more revelation. So, now verse 23. Jesus answered and said to Judas, If anyone loves me, now that's the disciples, all believers, we love Jesus, we appreciate what he did for us on the cross, we have responded in faith, Um, if anybody loves me, he will keep my word. In other words, he'll respond affirmatively to my message, he will keep my word, he'll obey my commandments, and... My Father will what? Will love him. Not maybe could love him or should love him or might love him. My Father will in fact. My Father will certainly, positively, absolutely love him. And we both, both God the Father and God the Son, we will come to him and make our home with him. This might be a reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in all believers. Or it might be just a reference in general to God's great love, to the love of Jesus for believers. And again, I repeat for emphasis, if, if, if God loved the world, the world of human beings, when they were sinners and ungodly and rebellious and alienated and enemies, if God loved the world when they were in this condition, so much so that God would send his own son and put him up on a cross so that whoever believes will have eternal life, 
Imagine, just imagine how much more God loves those who believe in his beloved son. Imagine how much joy and how much delight and how much happiness and how much satisfaction both God the Father have and Jesus have in believers, in Christians, who have responded affirmatively to the love of God manifested in Christ. One more and we're done for today. Chapter 15. Just forge ahead to chapter 15. This is the, uh, uh, the, vine, the vine and the branches passage where Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the life-sustaining vine. You're the branches. You're just offshoots from me. In other words, you might think of a vineyard, uh, a great big vineyard where grapes are growing. And Jesus says, my father, my father in heaven is the owner of the vineyard. I'm the vine. So the vine goes down into the soil. The vine comes up. And then off of the vine are these small branches. And off the branches hang the grapes. So Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You've got to stay connected to me. You've got to stay connected to me because I'm the source of life and sustenance for you. You've got to stay connected to me in order to bear fruit. And you're already clean, he says. You're already clean because you have believed the word that I have spoken to you. And, of course, he indicates that his father is glorified. His father is honored when Christians and disciples remain connected to Jesus and they bear much fruit. Now, verse 9. Jesus says, as the father loved me. Now, think of that. As the father loved me. I also have loved you. Sort of like a chain reaction. Jesus has enjoyed the love of God the Father forever and ever. Jesus has enjoyed the love of God the Father throughout all eternity. Even while Jesus was on earth, he was enjoying the love of God the Father. Because God sent Jesus into this world. Even though Jesus was rejected and he was crucified and he suffered, it was the plan of God to show his love for his son by raising his son from the dead so as to create this huge response of faith so that there would arise this great community of believers that would love Jesus God's son and praise Jesus God's son and forever spend their lives adoring him for what Jesus did for them on the cross. God the Father certainly has loved the Son. And then Jesus turns around and tells his disciples, well, I have loved you also. I have also loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now he says, stay, abide, remain, dwell, continue, persist in the love that I have for you. Why would you want to go anywhere else? If you're receiving God-like love through Jesus' love, you're having the best experience in the whole world. Why would you want to move anywhere else? It's like, well, if you can go to Florida in the wintertime and enjoy the warmth and the sunshine of Florida, why would you want to stay in northern Maine and and, and tough out the winter up there? If we're enjoying the love of Jesus, which is the same as God's love for Jesus that's been passed on to Christians, imagine that. The same love that God has for the Father is being passed on to his followers. It's being shown to his followers that abide, abide or dwell in my love. And that sense of abiding or dwelling or remaining in the love of Jesus might also carry the connotation as enjoy the love of Jesus, cherish the love of Jesus, appreciate the love of Jesus. Now verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will, you will, you will abide, you will stay, you will dwell, you remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will be, be enjoying and cherishing and appreciating my love for you. Remember I said a minute ago that the commandments of Jesus or the will of Jesus or the word of Jesus for us 
actually represents his love for us? Some people have the mistaken notion that, oh, oh, Jesus gives us all these commandments, all these rules, all these regulations, the things we should do and not do just to make life hard for us and make life miserable. No! The commandments of Jesus are given to us because he loves us. And to live in the commandments of Jesus is to live in his love. And what's one of the greatest commandments that Jesus gives to his disciples in the Gospel of John? As I have loved you, love one another. If we keep that commandment, We're really living and enjoying the love of Jesus. If we're enjoying the love of Jesus, why wouldn't we want to love others the same way that God has loved us, the same way that Jesus has loved us? And by the way, the commandments of Jesus will help things to go well for us, will help things to go good for us. If we don't live by the commandments of Jesus, we're just going to mess up our lives and make things more difficult than they would otherwise be. So in verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, uh, you will, you will in fact, abide, dwell, continue, remain, you will enjoy my love, the love that I have for you. And just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see, Jesus has enjoyed the love of God the Father. He has appreciated the love that God the Father has for Him by keeping His Father's commandments because Jesus knows that His Father's will for Him is actually a reflection of God's great love for Him. And as difficult as it was for Jesus to go to the cross, he even prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it's possible, please take this cup of suffering away from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. That's what Jesus prayed. But but Jesus understands that through going to the cross, being lifted up like that serpent in the wilderness, people are going to believe. People are going to believe in Jesus. Jesus, when he's raised from the dead, they cannot help but be a response of faith. People are going to believe in Jesus. Jesus is going to be honored. He's going to be the exalted or the elder brother among many brothers in the body of Christ. And Jesus will be praised throughout all eternity. I think of the great heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 5, where they're saying, worthy is the Lamb. You see, that came about because Jesus, it was God's will that Jesus come into the world and be crucified and raised from the dead. God loves His Son. God had a great plan to send His Son, to reveal His Son and His love to the world, so that His Son would be honored and uplifted and exalted. And so Jesus is able to say in Verse 10, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I have kept His will and I have carried out His plans and His purposes for me, which is an expression of His great love for me, and I have the privilege, I have the joy and the privilege of abiding, dwelling, remaining, and enjoying the love of the Father for me. Well, I've shared all of this this morning, and there's more verses we could look at. We'll have to save those for another time, just to emphasize the fact that we are a privileged people. We have not only witnessed and seen God's great love for the whole world, the world of sinners, by God sending His Son and putting Him up on the cross, but as believers in Christ Jesus, we also enjoy, you might say, an extra measure, a great measure of God's great love for us. And as Paul says in Romans 8, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the implied answer is nothing. So let's just... uh, close out our service with prayer and let's just ask God to help us to appreciate the love that he has for us. Not only the love that he demonstrated for us as well as the whole world in sending Jesus, but also that special love he has for all believers because we are the joy of his heart, the pride and joy of his life. Let's pray. Lord God, we have tried to reflect on these passages this morning to gain a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of your great love for us. 
Lord, help us not to take for granted your love. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Lord, we can't spend too much time meditating on your love. And I pray that through this message and many others that are given here, that we would draw close to you. We would love you more. We would enjoy you more. We would appreciate you more. We would sing your praises with more enthusiasm. We'll take the time to pray. And we'll even love our brothers and sisters in Christ more in spite of their faults. And so, Lord, just to press upon us once again the power and the magnitude and the wonder of your love for us and the love that Jesus has for his own, whom we are because of the shed blood of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I picked out a hymn that speaks so much about Jesus' love. I think of the four stanzas, three stanzas all talk about the love of Jesus. It's 286. 286. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. Uh, Hymn number 286. So let's stand as we sing. We'll sing all four stanzas. 286.